Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the POD cast. The pride of Detroit podcast is back. We're a day late. We're not a dollar short. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor of prideofdetroit.com. I am the interim coach of this podcast. We are back. Training camp is upon us. We're about to enter the actual practices, maybe even get some information about what the team looks like. We're going to talk about all of that probably next week because there wasn't really anything to talk about this week, but we got a packed show for you. We're going to talk about whether the NFL can actually pull off this season. And then the Lions made a handful of roster moves um, over the weekend. And they also um, got some, actually a lot of praise this week already about their chances for the 2020 season. So we're going to talk about all that coming up. But before we do, let me introduce my co-host of the show. Ryan Matthews is here. That's at Ryan underscore POD. Ryan, I didn't have a big long lead up to you. Because I, I, the people just want to hear you. They don't want to hear me right now. I need no introduction. I really don't. I'm here. I'm always here. And sorry we're bringing this to you on a Tuesday, but it just made the most sense. It did. We, we had to kick the can down the road a little bit, but we're here. There's plenty to talk about, and we're going to get to it. But first, I, I do need to talk about your shirt a little bit. And I know mm. it's not great podcast fodder, but this is just, again, if you're listening to the podcast, Maybe you should consider watching live on, on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit or YouTube. Describe yeah. your shirt for me. All right. So this shirt um, comes from a brand, uh, a local brand in Detroit called simplified and uh, yeah. Hashtag <laughs> I, we might hold on. Okay. But anyways, um, it's got this crazy crack line on it and I love it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I, I don't even know yeah. how to describe it, but it's just like if uh, if a lion had been shocked by static electricity and literally given crack. It's all in the eyes, really. Like it those is. little little insane eyes. It looks like it's embarking on a, a wild trip. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of wild trips, oh boy, football in the COVID era. <laughs> Was that a good enough segue? I don't know. Yeah, that was that was phenomenal. I, I really like that. Um, so we, we have to talk about it. We've kind of avoided it all podcast summer, just kind of living in the delusion that, that the NFL season was for sure going to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but we've never really debated the merits of, of whether it can, should, or, or will happen. And so that's what we're going to do here in the first segment. Um, Obviously, big news around college football today. Big Ten decided they were going to cancel fall sports or at least postpone fall sports until potentially the spring. Same with Pac-12. 
can only imagine that really everyone else is is, is bound to follow at this point because how weird would it be to just have like a Big 12 SEC college football year? I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But um, I mean, now now that I mean, one of the biggest arguments I think that people are making for the NFL is, is kind of like it can't fail. It's there's too much money at stake. There's too too many people involved. There's it, it's professional football is just too big to cancel right now. And I think a lot of people thought that way about college football too. I mean, college football makes a ton of money. They have how many television channels just for individual conferences. And, you know, so many athletic departments are dependent financially on football alone. And now we've seen football essentially get canceled. So could the same thing happen to the NFL, Ryan? Yeah. I think any premise that starts with too big to fail history time and time again shows that, Nothing is without failure. And I think Mm -hmm. look no further than the MLB season. If you want to look at a sport that probably best sets itself up outside of golf or tennis to be socially distanced and that sport is encountering problems, I think that the NFL is the sport that's the most likely to have problems, the biggest rosters, the most contact uh, between players. I just think that if anybody is going... Yeah, if and, and no bubble because it's just not viable. I think if anybody is going into this season or if anybody is still thinking that the NFL is, like you said, too big to fail, I think you're really setting yourself up for some disappointment because look at what's already happened with, with college football, as you mentioned, and, and the Pac-12, as you mentioned, canceling all sports until the end of the calendar year. I think that's, that's, that's something that's probably going to be pretty widespread um, amongst all colleges. Now, uh, I'm all for some of the things that are also happening with this movement though, in college football, I don't want to get you know too hung up on it, but the idea that, you know, players are starting to realize like the power that they have and, and, and their worth and uh, potentially even maybe throwing out the idea of unionizing right. in order to play. I, th- I think these are all great realizations. Now it's, it's terrible that it's happening under these conditions, but the ship has kind of sailed on college football. And if the ship has sailed on one form of football in the fall, you have to think that there has to be a, a good chance that the NFL doesn't happen either. Yeah. And, and let's get a little bit into the, the college football talk that you mentioned, because I think that the, the really riding force behind the uni- unionization and, and the players finding a voice was, was obviously Trevor Lawrence going to Twitter and um, getting a lot of attention. I want to focus specifically on, on one thing he said, because it pertains, I think at least a little bit to the NFL. And it's the idea that he thinks the structure of college football is safer for these players than if they were to go back home and, and, you know, potentially go to places that aren't socially distancing. They don't have the daily testing or however often they're testing at the college football level. They don't have the, the structure, the plexiglass that some of these facilities do. Um, is that something you buy? I think it's, it's, it, it's something worth considering because we don't have facts. Like we can't say, no, he's for sure wrong or yes. Um, he's absolutely right. Um, but I think, I think that's a, a claim that he makes that that's worth discussing. So do you think he's, he's onto something there or do you think he's off base? I mean, I don't think that it's so off base to say that there are college players that have a better life or a better quality of life at school than they do at home. I don't think that's so wildly off base to say with that being said, I think almost everybody can wash their hands and wear a mask. And that's essentially, that's essentially what people need to be doing in order to, in order to, 
you know, stop, stop this, uh, stop this disease from, or this virus from spreading. So I, I, I understand his sentiment and I think it's really, <clears throat> I think it's aimed at trying to just fuel the fires as to why college football should be happening. Um, I just, at the end of the day, I don't think that it's a huge reason as to why college football should still be happening. I think, I think the, I think the detractors outweigh the benefits. Yeah. Well, to me, it's, it's an interesting theory because I listened to, you know, some of the Lions players talk about all the changes they've made in their facility and pretty much unanimously, they've, they've all said very specifically this one statement, they feel safer in that facility than they do at home. And so I think it does bring a little credence to, to what Trevor Lawrence is saying. I, th- I think there is an argument to be made that that sort of structure, that sort of vigilant testing, that sort of, I mean, it's, it's almost like a bubble. And, and if we're being honest, it, it is a bubble just for part of the day. So in the NFL, they're, they're going into these facilities. They're not allowed in, you know, the first two weeks we saw a lot of positive COVID testing, but those guys weren't let in. And now we're what we're a couple weeks into or a week or two into training camp. And suddenly we're getting one a day, maybe two a day across the NFL people testing positive. And so when you're inside that, that bubble inside that facility bubble, yeah, it does seem like it's a little more safe than it is potentially at home when you go to the grocery store and you you run into one person without a mask and maybe that's it. You could do all you possibly can to prevent yourself from, from getting the disease at home, but eventually you're going to have to go outside and pump gas. You're going to have to go outside and go to the grocery store. And that means relying on people that could be unreliable. Whereas maybe in a college football setting, maybe in a professional football setting, you have those safeguards that those kind of people that aren't taking those sort of precautions aren't even in the build. Yeah. I agree with all those points. I think at the end of the day, though, all these people are still human and they're still going to end up making decisions where they are going to put themselves at risk, whether or not it's, you know, um, a high risk of, you know, catching the virus or, you know, doing something that's rather low risk. Like you said, like, you know, going outside and pumping gas or something like that. Like you're only, you're only as safe as the bubble keeps you for that amount of time. And I don't think that without, without having a campus like the NBA or without having two designated sites like the NHL, it's just really difficult with all the cross traffic, like teams traveling and going to other, other locations. There's no guarantee that, you know, every, you know, where where are these teams going to stay? If they end up, you know, traveling to another campus, are they going to stay at a specific location? Are they, you know, are they staying at a hotel? Well, is, are all the hotel employees, are they all being tested regularly? Like, I think there's a lot of question marks when it, when it comes to travel. And I think that's where the, I think that's where the MLB, I think that's where the NFL is going to run into problems. And that's where I think college football would run into problems because they don't have that benefit of being self-contained in a bubble. And once you start traveling, that's when you start running into problems. Yeah. And that's a good point because I think most of the focus, at least on the media um, has been on containing it in the team facilities. We don't really know much about, what's going to happen. Like you said, when they travel, we know that there's some restrictions and I think, um, you know, there's no, no going out to dinner. Obviously there's no riding in public cabs. I think that they're all going to have private buses that they have to take to, um, to and from the stadiums and, and things like that. Um, but, but yeah, that that's the inherent risk there is that, is that because there is no bubble there's at some point 
these players are going to have to put themselves at risk, whether they're trying not to, or, or, or whether they're being reckless. And and we've seen from some other sports, some, some players be reckless. Now I do think that the NFL is at enough time and they're, they're going to really nail down as, as clearly as possible to some of these players that any sort of reckless behavior is not only subject to fine or suspension, but is capable of decimating an entire team because all it takes is one person because this is such, as you said, a high impact close quarters sport that it really takes one person to, to not only decimate like a couple of his teammates, but blow out an entire position. And if you blow out an entire position, that's it. Like you can't play a game without an offensive line. Exactly. Yeah. And while some of those positions are more critical than others, it, it's just, it's, it's imperative. Like you're not going to play the game without wide receivers. Right. <laughs> like right. that's just not going to happen. I think I think the other factor here that, that we need to talk about is the NFL and its stubbornness. So we we don't know if a breakout's gonna happen. Um we know that there's inherently going to be a risk. And we know while the COVID case numbers are down now, that could all ch- change with travel. And like I said, just just one person can can kind of throw a whole wrench into it. But let's say an outbreak does happen. When when would you expect the NFL to sh- shutter its doors? When would you expect the NFL to say, "Okay, we tried, but it didn't work out"? Is I mean, you look at even the MLB is is pressing on right now, despite the fact that two teams have basically been on hold for what two three weeks now. Um, mm-hmm. That seems like it's going to be hard to do in the NFL. If you miss two or three weeks in the NFL, I don't know how you catch up. So the question is, is the NFL just going to be stubborn and be like? sorry, you, you just get to play two fewer games. Are they going to just disqualify a team and say, you know what? You didn't contain the virus. So you're disqualified from the 2020 season or are, are they going to be very careful? Like basketball was when the first, when the virus first hit and be like, all right, we got to shut this down. We'll, we'll get it together and, and try this months, months down the road. How, how do you see the NFL reacting to, to a potential outbreak? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's all just really speculation at this point. Sure. And the, I, I mean, cause you can't, you can't make up football games like the same way that you can baseball games where you can do double headers or you can squeeze a bunch of games in a, in a short, you know, a short period of time with the NFL, you're looking at probably, I, I would say that they would make them like forfeit for the week. And then you had the chance to, you know, test, get your negative tests in during the following week. And then all of a sudden it's Sunday and maybe you can play the following week, or maybe you'll have to forfeit that week too. Like I, uh, I'm just unsure of, of how they would handle that because they don't have the, they don't have the luxury of, of kind of playing the waiting game or kicking the can down the road. Yeah. The, the one safeguard they do have in place. And uh, I think this was definitely on purpose when they set up the schedule, they have it. So each team that plays each other on week three has the same bye week correct? So if that, so essentially the idea I think there is if they have to take the first two games of the season and move that to the back end, they can also move that third game to the bye week of, of both teams. And, and therefore they've created three extra weeks, but that was, I feel like that was just a safeguard in case things were so bad that they couldn't even imagine you know, starting training camp now, or they, they needed to move that a month down the road. Uh, at this point, an outbreak could happen at any point. And so if, if, I mean, and if it just happens to one team, I don't think you're going to change the entire NFL schedule. That would be crazy. Right? No, I, I think that's too many moving pieces, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, but then you run into, I mean, teams on bye weeks, you run into teams maybe losing their bye week because they have to make up a game potentially. And could you just imagine a, 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 a player having to, to play with a uh, play a whole season without a bye week I mean that uh that just sounds terrible yeah. playing NFL football sounds like not the greatest idea right now it's it's going to be a risk it's going to be a challenge it's it's going to be interesting to see how far they get if I mean they they could certainly get all the way I mean if if the COVID testing continues to work as it does um I, I'm not I'm not saying it's completely against it in fact I feel like I go back and forth every week between optimistic and pessimistic. I'm, I tend to be on the optimistic side right now, just because positive tests are down across the board by a large margin. And I think the initial testing portion where they're not even letting these guys get into the building, if they have a positive test, I think that process has proven that it's working. It's just from now on, like how, how many rolls of the dice can you avoid snake eyes essentially um, from yeah. here until December? And and yeah, snake eyes is, 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 is tough. It's tough to, to roll snake eyes. It's not great odds to, to roll snake eyes, but it can happen. And I just, I just don't know. And, and part of me thinks that the NFL will try to do whatever they can to, to just push on if, if an outbreak happens or even if just one or two players on the team get sick, they're just, they're just going to push forward. And maybe that'll prove to be the right move. Maybe it'll prove to be the wrong move, but it's just, we're really in a weird spot right now where it looks like the NFL is absolutely going to try to do this, but we just kind of, we're, we're at a point where we just have kind of have to cross our fingers and hope that it works out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think just my biggest point is that all those things can happen and you can contain the virus right now and things can be going well at training camp. But once you start traveling, that's when everything goes out the window. Yeah. So so we'll see. All right. That'll wrap up our talk on whether the NFL can actually pull this thing off. Do you actually let's, let's put this in very sports talk fashion. Give me, give me a percentage confidence that they pull off an entire 17 game season. 5%. Season. 5%. That's it. 17, a 17 week season. Every team. And this goes off without a hitch. I don't, I don't know. Where, where, what do you, what do you think? I'm, I'm a little more optimistic. I think, I think they will try to weather the storm of a couple positive t- cases here and there. I, like I said, I can't predict whether there's going to be an outbreak or not. It's just, it's just too unpredictable, but I do think, I do think they're going to push and I think they're going to push against negative tests. I think they're going to say the players are fine. They're asymptomatic. Let's just push on. And so I, I think that pushes it up to at least a 20% chance. Maybe, maybe even like maybe 25, 30. That sounds like such a hellish reality. We're like, well, Tom Brady's asymptomatic, but he's the man. And he's the reason why everybody's watching Tampa Bay Buccaneers football. So we're just going to move forward with him playing. Yeah. I, I mean, that's wild. that's wild. That's so irresponsible. There's, there's more money to be made in the NFL than the NCAA. There's, these these guys are professional athletes too. They're they're getting paid, so um, the owners, you know, they 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 can't just cancel the season as kicking the the can down the road in terms of paying their players, which some people are arguing the NCAA might be doing. Um, and they're they're in a more contained environment. They they've they've got more money in their facilities to be able 
to, to fight against this thing and protect the team. And while the risk is never going to be zero, it's probably better than it was in college football. And it's probably better than it was in, in MLB. So I think there's a fighting chance. I do. Fair enough. But I'll just say, Hey, college football already canceled it. Cause they're worried about what's going to happen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some Lions news. We're going to talk about some of the cuts that they've made, the tr- a trade that they made. And then as I teased at the top, Lions are getting some positive attention. Is it possible? We're, we're going to put the veil of our negativity about the, the, the potential of a season happening. We're just going to pretend that it is. And we're going to talk about how good of a season the Lions might actually have. So stick around. We'll be right back on the POD cast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the POD cast. Rolling on, talking Detroit Lions training camp as it's underway. But now let's talk about what they did to get to where they are now. They had 90 players. They decided they didn't want to go split squad anymore. So they decided to cut five players and trade one players away, one player away. Um, so let's run down some of the guys that they, they cut and we'll, we'll talk about whether we were surprised by it, not surprised by it. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the trade as well. Um, so let's, let's go one by one. Um, the first one was announced before the other ones, Travis Fulgham lions sixth round pick in 2019. He got cut first amongst this group, Brian, was that, was that a surprise to you? It was a little bit of a surprise to me. Cause I thought that he would maybe have the inside track after Geronimo Allison opted out of playing yeah. in the 2020 season. So I thought yeah. that I thought that just because he had some experience with the lions that he had maybe an inside track at making the roster, but uh, having him cut was a little bit of a surprise. 
it was more of a knife in the gut and a twist when he was claimed by the Packers later. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, could it have been a better landing place for him? I mean, if we're being honest, Travis Fulgham had a really rough uh, route to get to this roster at this point. Cause you, you got your three guys in Galladay, Amendola and Jones. You got Quintus is probably as close to a lock as, as you can be for a, a fifth round pick. And then you probably have Marvin Hall probably as, as Jamal, that Agnew, guy. Maybe. Jamal Agnew, maybe as well, if, if they decide to keep six or maybe even he's your fifth. And so it just, it didn't look good. Um, I guess he, he could have potentially fought for a guy for guys like Marvin Hall's spot or, or Jamal Agnew, depending on how good they're looking. But the guy didn't catch any passes in his first year with the lions and wasn't, I think he only played in what three games. So it was tough. But the wide receiver that I was a little more surprised about was the cut that came on the next day, and that's Chris Lacey. I thought Chris Lacey was in that competition. He was someone who looked good in camp. He's a guy that actually caught a pass or two in the 2019 season. I thought he was someone that could potentially jump for Quintus Cephas' spot. I knew you liked you some Chris Lacey. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly impacted by Chris Burke from The Athletic, who was standing from that guy from day one. But... Overall, I just, I thought I, I was with him. Lacey made some big contested catches and, um, you know, big body receiver. The lines clearly like those kind of guys. I thought maybe, maybe they, they were thinking, let's hold off on Quintus Cephas, see if we can get him to the practice squad. And I know that's by far no guarantee, especially with a, a wide receiver needy team like the Packers, like they probably would have came in and, and swept him up, but you, you never know with draft picks. And and to me, Lacey was a young enough guy that had shown enough potential that to make him one of the first, you know, six cuts that to me was surprising. Like why not go to another position and, and let Lacey and Cephas battle it out? Yeah. I think it's really interesting that two of their cuts were wide receivers when yeah. that seems to be a position where figuring out the fourth and fifth guy is it seemed like it was just totally up for grabs. Now we're left with Quintez Cephas, Marvin Hall and Jamal Agnew. I think that's yeah. really, I think those are the, I think those are the three guys that have the opportunity to fill two spots. Yeah. Maybe, those, maybe those, Jeremy Davis, but I mean, maybe. I don't think anyone's expecting Tom Kennedy or Victor Bolden really to make, make a run at a roster spot at this point. No. And I will say earlier, like you said, for Travis Fulgham, going to green Bay is probably the best thing that could have happened to him because there's a direct route to playing time there where in Detroit, like you said, it was just kind of a crowded room, but it's not such a crowded room anymore because like I said, I I think it's musical chairs at this point. I think that there's two seats and there's three people dancing. So yeah. And it's kind of interesting too, because I think normally you see in a training camp and this is by far not a normal training camp, but you normally see them bring in 10, 11, 12, uh, wide receivers just because they need guys to take reps. I mean, there's three, there's three teams and now the lines have, let me do some quick math, six, eight wide receivers on the roster. That's mm-hmm. not one for three, for three deep, honestly. Right. And one of them, one of them isn't really a, even a wide receiver yet. Oh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't even have him on the, do I have him? Where is he? No, I don't have him part. So technically okay. he makes nine. But still, but the, uh, nine is not a ton. I think that's that is that is a lot. Normally, bring into training camp, and obviously, you're you're normally bringing ninety instead of eighty. But um, just kind of an interesting move. I I think both of us probably would put both those guys on the roster bubble, probably out instead of in. Um, 
in terms of, of Chris Lacey and, and Travis Fulgham, but it's still, uh, you know, at least a little bit of a surprise that, you know, they, they get rid of him instead of someone like Caleb Beninock, you know, someone that no one is even considering having a, a roster spot chance. Yeah. And we do, we do that roster bubble series over at the website at pride of Detroit. I think that those two decisions though, Chris Lacey and Travis Fulgham, those are two guys that would make me go back and count like the rest of the roster and be like, I don't right. know, would they be in and out? Like it, it wouldn't just be a split, you know, a split decision where it goes, Oh yeah. No, that guy doesn't even really have a chance. He doesn't have a route to playing time. He doesn't do X, Y, or Z well enough to, to earn a roster spot. Doesn't have the versatility. Both those guys, I think you could have made a case for either of them making the team. So it's, sure. it's surprising. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some of the other names. Um, Christian Sam, linebacker. I don't think we need to talk too much about him. The linebacker room is really kind of crowded this year and, and not necessarily with a bunch of talent, but a bunch of new names. You, you think about Reggie Ragland potentially pushing some of these guys off the, the list. Obviously, Jamie Collins as well. And Austin Bryan and Jelani Tavai coming back for their second years. Julian O'Quara playing Jack. So a lot of young guys in that stable that they're expected to take big jumps. So I don't think uh, the, the Christian Sam release uh wave technically really surprised many people um jo- let's talk josh garnett because obviously he's kind of an interesting case um one of the um earlier signings the lines made in free agency um and and a guy that came with you know kind of the same hopes that that a lot of busted first round picks do where it's just like okay maybe he needed a, a change of scenery maybe maybe this is a good spot for him the lines have uh, a guard competition going at the very least, maybe a guy that that has all the physical t- tools to be in the NFL can figure it out with the lions. And, and if not be a starter, be part of the rotation or at least part of the depth there. But were you surprised at all to see Josh Garnett, you know, basically get cut before he had a chance to make an impression in Detroit? I think so. Just because he didn't get the chance to make, an impression on the field in Detroit, really. I think that's why he came here. I think that's why, I mean, this was a guy that San Francisco traded up for in the draft to pick in the first round and dealt with some injuries and, and some not so stellar play. But I mean, this is a guy who at Stanford was one of the best, uh, was one of the best offensive linemen in the country. So I, I think it's really interesting that he barely had enough time to get a cup of coffee in Detroit. And all of a sudden he's on the out, especially when you have kind of like the wide receiver position, there's really an open competition for left and right guard. I don't yeah. think that it's, I don't think it's a slam dunk. I, I we're both on the record as saying we're not going to have two starting rookie guards. And maybe yeah. it's even a stretch to say that the team might have one starting guard to begin the season. Sure. But I, I, I think, I think it's kind of interesting that they, they parted ways with somebody who they they brought in without even getting a chance to see him on the field. It seems like they really just want to like keep their guys because they have their guys. They drafted they drafted Stenberg. They drafted Jonah Jackson. They have Ode Abushi who has ties to Daryl Bevel. The, for some reason, I think Kenny Wiggins has blackmail on <laughs> the entire Lions organization. Like those guys all have ties. Whereas Garnett was an outsider, but he didn't even get a chance. So I don't know. Interesting, interesting cut. I, I think these cuts, while they're at the bottom of the roster and we tend to make a bigger deal out of them than we actually do, these ones are actually kind of surprising. 
Yeah, and I think I think this one kind of goes along with the pattern that I think I think it was Michael Rothstein pointed out on Twitter. Lions didn't just they didn't get rid of their young rookie or you know second year guys. They're they're undrafted rookies. They they wanted to get they wanted and maybe maybe this is just them kind of doing a nicety to these guys, but they wanted to give those guys a chance. The guys that they really I mean, I know in in terms of uh Garnett he didn't get really get a chance to show what he's got, but he's had a chance in the NFL. A lot of these other guys like Caleb Benenuk, not that he's a, a UDFA or anything, but you look around at the roster and a bunch of, you know, guys that, that really haven't had a chance to make an impression yet. Bobby price, Jalen Elliott, Jeremiah Dinson. I'm, I'm mostly talking about defensive guys here, but um, Hunter Bryant, a lot of these guys that they just don't have any idea on. They want to see what they've got other than, you know, a certain amount of, uh, practices in terms of just like conditioning. I mean, you can't really tell who you've got in terms of conditioning based on a week of, of lifting weights or, or running laps or running up a hill or whatever. So I, I, I think they, they tried to do some of these guys a solid by, you know, if they're veterans that, that they kind of know already either based on film or based on them being around the lines for a while, they're like, you know what? You probably weren't going to make the team go make an impression elsewhere where they they're not as deep at this position as, as we are. But we need to we need to see what we got in these news guys. We need to see what sort of investment we made in our sixth and seventh round draft picks. We need to see if our undrafted rookies are going to make any sort of impression. We need to see if these first or first year players um, can can make a jump to year, from year two. And so I think that's why you saw a guy like Josh Garnett, Travis Fulgham, um, you know, even Chris Lacey. Even though those guys only got one year to make an impression in Detroit, they got their chance. And now they're, they're giving that, that chance to some other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Last guy um, that they got cut was that they cut was Jonathan Wynn defensive end. Um, maybe a mild surprise to me because just that, that down defensive end role right now behind Trey flowers. I like who's there. Like you got Romeo Quara, who's currently on the, uh, the NFI. And then who's behind him? Who's capable of playing that down defensive end? Is it, are you relying on Deshaun hand to kick it out every once in a while? Um, is Deshaun Cornell, are, their seventh round pick, is he someone they see making an impact year one? Um, it, to me, that one didn't surprise me in terms of the person, just the position. It didn't seem like they were particularly deep at that position to me. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And we talked about it, I think on the podcast last week, in terms of just that depth they have at the position or rather the lack of depth they had to that position. So maybe they are counting on Deshaun hand, but I think that that's the wrong basket to put all your eggs in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely a risk given how the first two years have played out with his career. Um, lastly, did you have one more well, thing on that? Yeah. Yeah. Actually yeah. I wanted to throw one question to you. So of yeah. those three positions, so uh, let's say wide receiver guard and down defensive end, of those three positions, which do you think the Lions are most likely to sign another player? Hmm. Good question. I don't think it's wide receiver. I don't think so either. I think it's probably down defensive end. I think this team could just add linemen anywhere on the defensive side of the ball right now. Cause obviously they're also kind of hurting at defensive tackle with, uh, Atkins, um, opting out. And then the, uh, J Jalen, What's his name? G. The, the Baltimore uh, Raven that failed his field. Day, physical. Was it Daily Mac? 
Jalen Mack, thank you. Yeah. Um, so now they're essentially relying on John Penasini to be the backup nose. So I think really it could be anywhere on the defensive line and, and defensive end absolutely counts in that. In that. Yeah. Agreed. Um, last, last thing before we jump into what ESPN was saying about the lines this week is the trade of Mike Jackson. We don't really need to talk a lot about it. I don't think, I don't think either of us really had any impression that, that Mike Jackson was going to make this roster considering all the additions they made at cornerback, Tony McCray, Dale Roberts, uh, Desmond Trufant, obviously uh, Jeff Okuda as well. Um, long shot for him to make the roster, but at least the line, the line said they were going to release him. They said they were going to cut him. And then the Patriots are like, Oh, wait a second. Don't do that yet. Let me throw you a, you know, a bag of pucks, the, the Chris Draper deal. And, uh, <laughs> And we'll take him off your hands before you even have to release him. And that's what they did. And any thoughts on this move? Is there any anything interesting about that trade other than what I just said? It just astonishes me how much business Bob Quinn does with the Patriots. <laughs> it's like it it's makes right? sense. I understand why he has ties, but why? Why so much? Why so often? Why? Why, why? I kind of sound like Annie Lennox right now. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, every trade, the carry on Johnson trade to move up. That was a New yeah. England Patriots deal. I mean, uh, those, those are the, the ones show. that are harder to, to understand, right? Because when it's play, when, when it's a player deal, it's like, OK, well, they have similar systems that, you know, Bob Quinn probably has a very similar preference to players as as. Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn and all that. But when, when they're trading draft picks, it's like, okay, well you can talk to other people. You can talk to other people. You can talk to other people, Bob. That's I'm I'm just saying you don't have to be so locked in on the Patriots all the time. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's switch gears here. Let's talk about uh, a couple articles that came out of ESPN this week. The first of which uh, came from Bill Barnwell. He said the lions are one of four teams most likely to improve this year. Now the, the cynical person in me and in a lot of other lions fans look at that news and be like, well, duh, they're three, 12 and one. They're not going to get that. Uh, there's, there's a lot more room to get better than there is to get worse. So Lottie die, of course, bold prediction that they might win more than three games this year. But you look at, you know, kind of the nitty gritty of what he's saying about how the Lions fourth quarter was, historically bad last year and the fact if you compared to teams who had similarly horrible fourth quarters that year they on average on average improved by three and a half wins the next season so i mean already there you're pushing the lines to seven and nine if they have an average season for um bounce backs from fourth quarter collapses so i mean if you're if if the starting point is seven and nine well now we're talking right do you, do you yeah, believe that the Lions, that that's at, at almost the floor of, of an improvement we could see from the Lions this year? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. To say that seven and nine is the floor, it sounds a lot like you're just like on the ground talking about the ceiling. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't see how, down. yeah, I don't see how seven and nine can be the floor for a team that won three games. Now, I understand. Matthew Stafford misses eight games. That completely changes the trajectory of the team. Were they terrible in the fourth quarter? Yes, they were. But you have to go out and prove to me that you can win those games. Like there's a reason why the Lions weren't winning those games, whether it be coaching decisions, whether it be boneheaded plays. 
you're not all of a sudden just going to flip all those boneheaded plays. You're not all of a sudden going to flip <clears throat> fumbling the football on the one yard line and having it returned for a hundred yards. Why? Like, why would you even bring that up? Because I'm the, I'm the bad guy. Okay? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that I just don't think that there's this kind of like, I don't believe in this line of thinking that like, okay, the lions, you know, they got so unlucky in all of these spots that all of that unluckiness is going to turn into like fortune. And I know that sounds weird to say that going from three wins to seven wins is, is huge fortune, especially when you're getting eight more games, potentially Matthew Stafford back. But it just seems like such a long shot to say that unlucky things will not happen to the Lions again. Unlucky things will happen to the Lions again because it's football and that's just how things happen. I'm not saying it's a Lions thing. I'm just saying it's a football thing. Yeah. But I mean, there were some other arguments that, that Barnwell made um, turnover margin, which is very, it, it, the variance on turnover margin year to year is huge. It's why we saw the bears take a big step back last year because their turnover margin in 2018 was insane. Lines were pretty bad in terms of their turnover margin last year. So um, regression to the mean says they they're likely to, to be better in that category this year. And then interestingly enough, uh, I believe the lines were first in, in, in terms of easiest strength of schedule, by uh, their measure, which is, you know, I think that's based on um, win total Vegas, Vegas win totals um, projections. Mm. Um, so that, that's kind of interesting. You know, the lines are playing the AFC South, which is not considered to be a great division necessarily. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm almost with them. And part of it is because of that Matthew Stafford factor, because this team was essentially a seven and nine team last year. I mean, Maybe maybe it's more like six. If you want to go technically under Matthew Stafford, they were what six, eight, and two. And if you if you go full season, so in terms of win percentage, that's the same thing as seven and nine. But I, I, the question is: Is this team actually significantly better than it was last year? Even with Matt, like with Matt, you, you're you're. Let's just assume the lines were six, eight, and two last year. Matthew Stafford continued on his trajectory: six, eight, and two is this team better than that potential team? And I, the answer isn't clear to me. And I, we, we, we've really talked about it all off season, right? We've talked about the defense is different, but is it better? And that's, that's the key, right? Because if the offense picks up where it left off last year, then, then I'm happy with where the offense is. The defensive improvement is where the money is going to get made. And, and it's the biggest question that's still on the roster. Well, that, that, that's also like, you know, the defense is different, but is it better? The offensive line different, but is it better? The running back position there, there potentially may be a, a different shareholder in terms of who gets the most carries. Is it better though? I mean, <clears throat> you want to hope so. And you want to think that all of these changes will result in wins, but I don't know if I, I just don't know if I see it because I don't think I don't think the talent is quite there yet. Like they acquired new talent, but is the talent enough? And you lost talent too. Like you can't you I I don't know. Darius Slay wasn't the the player that he was maybe over the you know past say like three two or three seasons. But like I mean, you still lost your number one cornerback. Yeah. You're counting on Desmond Trufant to be that guy. You're counting on a rookie to be the number two corner. You're counting on Justin Coleman to be the guy he was in the first half of the season rather than the second half of the season. Yeah. Um, and I know that's just one position, but 
the linebackers. I mean, is Jared Davis going to be a top five linebacker? Unless you're Andy Benoit. I think there's a lot of people who are kind of hey, drink some milk. Will you? Um, <laughs> I, I I think un- unless unless you're looking at the linebacking corpse with you know some rose colored glasses, there's a lot of questions to be answered. So that's why I just have to take all of this stuff with a grain of salt. However, when you started to bring up the idea that the Lions' strength of schedule is the easiest based on Vegas projections, now I'm now I'm interested. <laughs> well, now I'm me- starting to believe a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me continue that optimism because Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders wrote an article today, uh, Tuesday, about the the team's most likely to go worst to first. And he, he writes this every year. A lot of outlets like to write these kind of uh, articles because on average, it happens every year. Um, it happens, I would say, I, I think the average something like every five out of six years, a team goes from worst to first. And so people like to write about this to, to spring in hope in, in a downtrodden fan base. And um, this year, guess what? It's a Detroit lions. According to Shats, they're number one in, in likelihood to go worst to first in the NFL. And he goes even further than that based on football outsiders prediction model. They have a 27.5 chance to win the NFC North outright. And that's the most, that's the highest percentage of any team in the NFC North. That means we're not talking about worst to first anymore. We're talking about just the NFC North football outsiders prediction model has them as the, the, the odds on favorite to win the NFC North. Brian smile. It's happening, dude. I can't, I can't buy it. I can't buy it because there are other teams in the NFC North. <laughs> All right. Well, let me, let me pull this quote from okay. chat right. directly Give me because, quotes. You, because you were specifically upset and specifically doubtful of the defense. And he addresses the defense here. He says our projection system also likes the Lions' defense to improve after the unit ranked 28th in DVOA last season. Lions added a good amount of free agent talent, much of it from the number one new England Patriots defense. They made up for trading away veteran cornerback Darius Slay by selecting the talented Jeff Okuda third overall in the draft, combine the talent influx with a low turnover rate, something that strongly regresses towards the mean and the Lions should be better on defense in 2020. Look into the camera and tell Aaron Schatz he's wrong. Aaron Schatz. I want to believe you're right. <laughs> and you are. Okay. The end of the segment. We're done. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I no, just, I mean, there, there is obviously tough. a reason to be skeptical. Completely skeptical. I mean, why would you believe in a Matt Patricia led defense when two years have told you not to do that? Um, but I, I, I want to sip on. I'm 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 leaning. I'm leaning towards sipping. I I do think seven and nine. I think six and ten is 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 the floor of this team. I, I was just about to say that, but I didn't want to be like criticized <laughs> because I was like seven and nine is ridiculous to think that's the floor. But six and ten, like you can you can sell me on Matthew Stafford winning six games. And and I've been on record plenty of times saying I think if Matthew Stafford plays all 16 games of the season, this team isn't losing double digit games ever again. And then Matt, Matt Patricia's first year came along and the lines went six and 10. But uh, outside of that, hopefully we've learned things in the past two years. Matt Patricia has his guys all across. I mean, there's, there's Patriots guys littered across this defensive roster. There's no more excuses. It's going to work six set. You know, no seven and nine is the bottom. I'm saying it seven. This team is not going to be worse than seven and nine this year. Clip a chat. 
clip it at home, play it back for me in, in January when we potentially actually have a season that just finished. This team is going no worse than seven and nine. So Jeremy, are you okay? I'm great. Are you okay? Are you sure you're great? This yeah. is wild. This is this isn't this is insane. These are things that I was not expecting you to say. So I am completely caught off guard. <laughs> I'm sweating. My palms are sweaty. My I had my mother's spaghetti on my. Okay. <laughs> I'm more worried about your knees. Let's be honest. Uh, I'm worried about my knees too. Um, just specifically one of them, but they are weak. <clears throat> I think. <laughs> I think. I think you're right in the sense that what? you can count on you can count on Matthew Stafford to to be a winnable quarterback to win you more games and he's going to lose you games just because he's not that gunslinger that he always used to be. And I think that he's a much more polished quarterback than he was. And that lends itself well to the argument that the lions, hopefully with these defensive additions that Aaron Schatz brings up, you do regress more to that, uh, to the, to the mean when it comes to defensive turnovers. I just, I, I think I think the seven and nine thing, I'm stuck on that because of Matt Patricia. I'm not really stuck on that. I think so much is because of the talent. Yeah. That's fair. And I think the one big caveat we have to have for all of these articles that are positive about the lines is that they all mention how they expect the line success to be based on regression from other teams in the division. Bill yeah. Barnwell did the, the top teams most likely to regress today. And the Packers were, were one on that list. And he listed a whole bunch of factors, very convincing factors that the Packers way overperformed in, in 2019. And, and were very, very lucky in terms of a lot of things in terms of their health, in terms of their, you know, record in close games. And, and then you look at a guy at, at a team like the Vikings who also made the playoffs, but their defensive roster got gutted. So um, while, while, you know, the football outsiders, Aaron Schatz article said that the lions are most likely to win the NFC North. Part of the reason for that is that no one has good odds to win the NFC North. Everyone is between, I think, 27 and, and 29 or 28%. Um, you know, so basically everyone's on level ground. So why not the Lions? That's that's almost what their article is. And, <laughs> and so it, it's probably not as high a praise as, as some may have taken it or as, as some headlines, probably including ours, may have led you to believe. Um, but at the same time, it, it is just kind of like this NFC North is just full of a mediocrity right now. So yeah, the Lions got a chance to win seven, eight, nine, maybe ten games. Just because everybody else is bad. <laughs> hey, it's it's just it's like you know zombie apocalypse. You just have to be faster than than the <laughs> slowest dude, right? It's 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 exactly that, and it's funny that you bring up the Lions have to play the AFC South because they've been the poster child of that division, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Just the absolute tire fire, dumpster fire swamp of the NFL, and whoever claws their way to eight and eight or nine and seven is going to be the division champ. That might be what happens in the NFC North this year. And we'll end this segment on that optimism. <laughs> When we come back, we're going to answer your questions in the mailbag. Hashtag ask POD if you got any questions. Throw them in our chat as well if you're watching live. We'll be right back with the POD cast mailbag. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. 
Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Mailbag. Hashtag SPOD. If you guys have any questions, feel free to throw it on Twitter at any time with that hashtag or go to the Pride of Detroit page. Usually drops on a Friday or Saturday and uh, put it in our new comment section. New and improved? Question mark. We'll see. Uh, anyways, let's take some questions from Twitter today because all the other ones got deleted when we moved over to the new comment section. Uh, all right. First question comes from Gloria's daughter on Twitter. She asks, a lot of talk about coaching turnover in Detroit. How long do you think it takes to truly turn over a team culture and find all the right players, coaches to complement this? This is an all things included question. And I think this question was brought up because there was a lot of talk about coach Caldwell who joined Glover Quinn's podcast this week. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next question, but um, let, let's address Gloria's first. How long do you think a full culture shift takes is is two years enough? Is one year enough? Is is this the year for for the Patricia crew? What what are your thoughts on the whole culture change thing? Look what Jim Caldwell did in one season. Eleven I mean, five. Does anything? I yes, there is talent there, but at the same time, you can have all the talent in the world. If you don't have players pulling for you in that direction that you want them to pull for you, it's really tough to win football games, and. I know we don't really want to talk about him because we don't want to seem like a spurn. Like we don't want to seem spurn lovers, <laughs> spurn lover. But Darius Slay saying that once he got to Philadelphia, players got to act the way that they, the way that they wanted to because they got to be themselves and things maybe necessarily aren't the same in Detroit. I'm not saying that Matt Patricia's way can't work. I'm just saying that Matt Patricia's way seems like the path of most resistance. Whereas somebody like with Jim Caldwell's coaching philosophies, while his time management was uh, more than questionable, his clock management was more than questionable. He clearly had a huge impact and he clearly, he clearly rubbed the players the right way in terms of their ability to be themselves, their ability. um, I, I think, I think with Jim Caldwell too, I think one thing that athletes really appreciate is things that are outside of football. So I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be interested to know like what Matt Patricia does for players outside of the game of football, because I think Jim Caldwell did a ton for, for his, uh, for his, his team off the field. Yeah. That's all. That's kind of an interesting point. And I think, I think it, it's kind of, I don't know. You're kind of taking the question in a different direction because I think your argument is that there doesn't really need to be a culture shift. There doesn't need to be this, this whole overhaul. And, and no, Jim Caldwell would agree with you. I mean, I'll, I'll pull a direct quote from that interview he had with Glover Quinn. He says, oftentimes guys come in and take over programs and they immediately want to get rid of everybody. They want to immediately wash their hands and say, let's get my guys in here. When I come into a program, you know what I say? These are my guys. These are my guys. And we're going to win with these guys. And so, yeah, that's one way to approach um, taking over a new team. And it worked out for Caldwell in that 26, 20, whatever, 2014, 2014. season, mm-hmm. um, where they went 11 and five. Um, but obviously he also had a really talented roster at that point. So it was easier for him to, to do that. I think the question more so is asking if you pick the blow everything up option, mm. which, which you wouldn't necessarily agree with. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with either. Um, but if a team decides 
we need to blow up the culture. This, we, you know, all the things that people were saying after Caldwell, we were accepting mediocrity. We were letting, we weren't holding players reliable and whether any of that is actually true or not. Um, let's just pretend they are. Let's pretend Bob Quinn, Mapitra's coming in here. They see a team that's, that's too loosey goosey. They're too not focused on football. They're too, you know, not being held, not being held accountable enough. He says, we need to blow everything up. We need to change everything we do from this organization, from the way we, we hold ourselves in the locker room, from the players that we have, from the way we practice. If you go that route, how long, how big of a leash are you giving these coaches? I think by their third season, they need to have the season. So I so really, truly yeah. think, I think this is it for Matt Patricia. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I think three is, is that magic number because, I mean, you just look at the roster right now. Matt Patricia's hands are all over it. They're now all over the coaching staff as well. And so, I mean, if, if you can't get a culture full of guys that you've already coached elsewhere and guys that you drafted and only know you in the NFL, then, then I'm sorry. Like you're not, you're not cut out for this. So yeah, every, every like hyperbole that we've made of year three being a make or break season for Matt Patricia isn't even hyperbole to me. It's the truth. This, This is for me, at least, I don't know if the ownership feels the same way, but for me, like, my entire confidence in this, you know, reign of, of, of Patricia lies on how they do in this year. And maybe that's not fair to put it all on one year where, you know, one injury could derail a season or, you know, there's so much luck that happens um, in, in one football season that causes a team to go seven and nine instead of nine and seven. But he's, he hasn't earned any sort of benefit of the doubt at this point. So yeah, it's, it's the third year. No question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Philip. We're going to stick a little bit with Caldwell. Um, He says, are we guilty of not appreciating Caldwell enough? Most successful recent Lions coach, respectable leader, high integrity, basically want basically the opposite of Patricia, his words. Uh, I want, I wanted him gone, but now I would bring him back with open arms. I do feel like there's a lot of people that feel that way. I think the question he's asking, is this kind of whitewashing the Caldwell era? Is this, thinking more highly of, of the Caldwell era because only because we're back in the depths of bottom tier team, or was there actually potential there to, to do more than just be kind of that nine and seven wildcard team every year? Um, I really think that while there was a possibility for Jim Caldwell to kind of like keep the ship going, I still think that, the team in terms of uh, roster development, I think the team in terms of their ability to win football games because of decision-making from the coaching staff on the field in in real time during the game, I think that those things were kind of capped. Um, Look at the way, look at the, look at the decisions. And I'm not even putting this on Jim Caldwell, but I'm putting this like, I mean, he had to have at least been considered, but like Jared Davis and T's Tabor, that draft tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a tough way to, to swallow the pill on two, two, you know, high draft picks. Um, and even just some of the people that, you know, Jim Caldwell put in place, the name of the, uh, the offensive line coach Ron who Prince. was completely, thank you. Completely <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> I mean, the people that he put into place, um, 
I just think that, I mean, I, Jim Caldwell as a person seems like an awesome person as a football coach. He seems the epitome of nine and seven. Yeah. Um, and then with some extra talent, look what Jeff Fisher. yeah, the inverse Jeff Fisher. Exactly. <laughs> like he's the person that you want to be at, um, at the table when it comes to, uh, being your head coach. But I just think that it's such a, I think it's such revisionist history to go back and say that, you know, the lions never should have parted ways with Jim Caldwell, because I think that, I mean, look at even what happened with Jim Caldwell. I mean, he was no spring chicken. I mean, he had his own health issues. I, I think Jim Caldwell would have had to step away from football regardless. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, at the time I remember advocating for one more year for Caldwell. Um, I, I don't think it was that talented a roster in, in 2017. Um, I think nine and seven, but, but with the way, with the ugliness that the way that season ended with the, the Bengals game and him not challenging one of the final plays, I, I understood it. And I definitely had that same kind of feeling as you, that it did feel like we had capped off with Caldwell, but I just wanted to be sure. Um, the, the, the mitigating factor here though, is Bob Quinn because I don't think there was ever a chance that Bob Quinn and Jim Caldwell was going to work out. They had two years together, but one of the most telling quotes that Bob Quinn has ever made to me was when Matt Patricia came in, it was after either the first or second draft with Matt Patricia. Um, He said, I'm comfortable drafting now. He said, I'm, I know the system that I'm drafting for now. I know the players that fit this system. I'm more comfortable drafting now. And so to me, that tells that there just wasn't, the kind of bond between GM and coach that there needed to be to get the kind of talent that they needed, that Jim Caldwell needed to be successful in Detroit when with Bob Quinn as a GM, that just, it wasn't going to work. It was, it was water and oil there. They weren't going to mix. And so I, I was always surprised that Jim Caldwell lasted as long as he did under, under Bob Quinn, because I do think from day one, like, like, um, like Jim Caldwell said, if, if Bob Quinn had his way, he probably would have just, gone with his own head coach from day one, but obviously ownership liked uh, Jim Caldwell. And how can you not a very, a very affable person. Um, But it just, those two were never going to work out for me. And so, um, you know, if it's almost like we should have treated Martin Mayhew and Jim Caldwell as a package deal in the same way that we're treating Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. Oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. All right. Next question. Let's take one from our Twitch chat. Um, and I'm doing this against my own well-being here. LJB Ruff asks, hashtag SPOD, mock drafts 2021 are out now. Two parts. A, what position of need do you see them going after? B, how do you think teams will approach the draft with the Big Ten and Pac-12 shutting down their seasons? Hmm. Um, so which question should I answer first? Let's go with the first one. What positions do you think the line should be targeting next year? Um, well, wide receiver. I know yep. it sounds wild, but I mean, they don't have a single wide receiver outside of Geronimo Allison under contract for the following season. <laughs> well, Quintus Cephas too, but. Okay, well, Quintus Cephas and Geronimo Allison, your top <laughs> two Lions wide receivers. 
I'm going to throw out a name just because I love his game. And I think that he would be oh, you're a put names player. on this too. Heck yeah. Rondell okay. Moore from Purdue. Small slot receiver, five foot nine, 181 pounds. But I mean, he's just like the, he's just like the most prolific dynamite player that you're going to get at that position. I think, uh, specifically like the slot position. Um, but then also he's a return specialist too. So you're going to get, you're going to get some, some extra play out of him too. So, but I, I don't think you want to take wide receiver off the table for the Lions. Oh, no question. I think, I think wide receiver might turn out to be one of their biggest needs. If yeah. we're being honest, I mean, you, you look pretty much everywhere else where like safety, they have a bunch of young guys, corner, they got a bunch of young guys, linebacker, they got a couple young guys. Um, quarterback, I don't think they're necessarily going to mess with, although kind of have to wait and see what happens to the regime running back. They got young guys, tight ends. They got young guys, offensive line. They got, you know, assuming they, they extend Decker, they're, they're set on the tackles. They've got two young guys at guard. They got a, a potential center of the future. They're kind of set everywhere, but wide receiver on offense and then defense. They're probably going to use, need a lot of improvement, but in terms of young talent, they they've got a lot on the defensive side of the ball too. Yeah. So it might sound wild, but if the Lions have a top 10 pick, I'm not taking wide receiver off the table. I'm with you there. Uh, the other half of the question was, how do you think teams will approach draft the draft with Big Ten and, and Pac-12 shutting down the season? Well, I think that that's a tough question to ask because I feel like at least my perspective right now is that that's just the beginning. Like no one's going to have a season. Um, it would be wild to me if if you know, the SEC is like, we're the SEC. We're going to do it anyways. Um, although if there is a conference that would do, that would try something like that, probably the SEC. Uh, but let, let's just throw a wild hypothetical out there. If the big 10 and the PAC 12 shut down their seasons, but everyone, the other power five conferences decide they're going to play. Would you potentially avoid big 10 and PAC 12 players? Because you don't have your, your evaluation of them won't be as strong. Mm, I'm having some really bad PTSD when it comes to Mike Williams right now. (laughs) Fair enough. But uh, no, I don't think so. Like Rondell Moore, for example, he was a player who opted out. Mm -hmm. Not just because I don't get one more season with Rondell Moore. Like, do I think that I need more tape to evaluate him? Probably not. And also think about the inverse of this or the opposite side. You're going to get some players with less, less tread taken off their tires too. Yeah, that's true. I, I one one question I'm curious about is whether coaches will be kind of annoying it and be like, you opted out. Now I question your commitment to football. Do you think they're going to be coaches uh, like that? Ooh, yes, I do. Just <laughs> yeah. because the NFL is filled with idiots. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I, I, I posed this question on another Twitch channel just because, you know, I mean, we know how overly, overly critical coaches are during the draft. Like the draft is obviously a, a really important process for them. And a lot of their, you know, their jobs depend on it. And I think in some cases they go overly critical and overly analyze players. And I think that could potentially be some sort of negative for some coaches, not, not any of mine, but like, I don't know. It's just something, you, I, you know, is going to show up on like one scout scouting report that leaks to the media. Mm. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We, uh, we kind of went long on some of these questions, so let's do kind of a, uh, 
a lightning round with a couple of these. Let's let's go t- with Joshua, uh, who is don't forget okay on our Twitch chat. He asks, "I'm looking to build and looking at building up my gaming library, but I'm not really sure where to start. What are your favorite PC games, and what should I take a look at?" I know you're more of a PS4 guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's still some games that you can get for PC that belong in any gaming library. And I'm just going to say my favorite game of all time is Bioshock. So if you're into the single player experience, which I really miss single player campaigns, they're so much fun. And then people just started to turn everything into Battle Royale. So (laughs) grab some Bioshock and play a really good first person shooter with some interesting alternative mechanics and have some fun with that uh especially because the first one's really good and then bioshock infinite is a lot of fun so you get some you get some extended play out of that plus they have dlcs that come with them so i'm sh- pretty sure you can get like the game of the year or the you know the remastered edition with all of the dlc and stuff and you get yourself a pretty big game for uh quite a small price but any yep. pc games that you can advocate for? Well, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum as you. I don't really like playing video games by myself too much, especially now that I spend 99% of my time by myself. <laughs> so I'm all about the multiplayer games. I'm still playing Fortnite, but I'm I'm also all in on Fall Guys, like the, the dopey little... It's fun. ...obstacle course game that you can play with yeah. a bunch of your friends. It's stupid. It's fun. It's $20 on PC. It's, it's free if you have PS Play or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I mean, it's I'm all about those party games. Whether it was like Rock Band in the, back in the day or Mario Party, like I've always been drawn to those party games. And so uh Fall Guys falls into that. I want to try Pummel Party. Um all the Jackbox games are a lot of fun to me. So if you're yeah. looking for, for for like communal games, those those are the titles you should be hitting. Streets of Rage was a lot of fun too, right? True. I mean, when it I didn't crash it, a million times the Switch. Yeah. They reimagined it. Totally, totally fun. I love those arcade games too. All right. Mm-hmm. Really quick, uh Tyler Bostador asks on Twitter, I've been playing some old Madden games lately and have been re re rewriting some of Lions history. My question is, which Lions play or which player in the past ten to twenty years were you advocating for the Lions to sign or trade for and it never happened? Could have been could have been realistic or a pipe dream. So a guy that you always were just like, I wish the lines would trade for him. I wish the lines would go get him in free agency. Was there ever a guy that you just pounded the table for and never happened? Two guys, one of them really recently. And that was Cleo Mack. Mm-hmm. Trading. You've made the, the, sorry. Go oh ahead. yeah. I was going to say trading what, what the bears had to give up two first round picks and a third round pick. Like, no, they, done deal. Don't even have to, we don't have wow. to have a second phone call conversation. It's all good. Let's just get that guy in Honolulu blue. Khalil Mack would have been a dynamite pickup for a team that has zero pass rush. But my other, my other one as a child that I was always so interested in the lions acquiring was champ Bailey, but only really (laughs) under the conditions that the lions had boss Bailey. And I wanted both of them (laughs) on the same team, the Bailey boys, the Bailey boys. That would have been fun. And the fact that champ Bailey was like, you know, an all pro cornerback who was actually really good and boss. His brother was not so great. <laughs> he was all right. Uh, my answer, it's going to be kind of a weird one because technically it happened, but not at all when I wanted it to happen. Like you, I've always been kind of 
um, focused on pass rushers and having like amazing pass rushers. And one of my favorite pass rushers growing up was Dwight Freeney. Dwight Freeney. I knew exactly who it was going to be. Yes. And I just had a picture of him looking so sad on the sidelines wearing <laughs> a Lions jersey. Yeah, he came to the Lions at the very, very tail end of his career for like five games. And we're like, this is it. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to make a playoff run with Dwight Freeney. And he basically did nothing for four games. But man, when he was at his best, like that spin move, every time he did, I'm just like, I want that. I want that. I want that on the team so bad. I want, I mean, when is, I don't know if the Lions have really ever had a guy like that. Maybe Robert Porche that was just had so many pass rushing moves that could dominate an offensive tackle one-on-one like that. Ansa couldn't do things like that. I mean, who else? Besides um, Robert Porche. I don't know if anyone. I I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. It's, yeah. it's kind of sad, but yeah. When Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, those two guys together on that Colts defense. I know the Colts defense was historically pretty bad and they couldn't do much for Peyton Manning when they needed to show up, but those guys were really good. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Last question goes to captain underscore Kirk underscore 29 Shaq on Twitter. Yes. Very simply who has more touchdowns this upcoming season, Swift or Johnson. It's time to get Swifty. It is time to get Swifty. He's going to, he's going to be the number one back. He's going to get more touches, which probably means more touchdowns. Probably he'll have 12, 12 touchdowns. It's time to get Swifty in here. Now who's the optimistic one. We're going to end this on an optimistic note. That has been the podcast, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on YouTube and Twitch. If you want the video versions, but until next time it's chaos. Be kind. Eight and eight is the floor. (laughs) 